0: So... We're going to do something a little bit different this morning about how we're going to approach this message than the way that we've been uh, coming at the, the series. Uh, y- yesterday, uh, uh, Vanessa and the kids were, were up here, her, her sister was in town from, from D.C., and so we call it Cousin Time. So they've, they've got four boys, and, and so all of our kids were playing together, and, and uh, so uh, they, I was just at the house. It was quiet with a house to myself, and so I was just praying for the weekend, you know, and I really felt like God spoke to my. My heart about changing up what we were going to do uh, in our service today. And so I appreciate our team because that means lots of changes for them, right? That the tech team and the, the video clip gets moved around it it displaces the worship set and they're just it's an amazing team they just roll with it and part of the change was that 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 the the, the story that was a part of the sermon is is, is going to be the sermon and and, and we're not going to use the slides today we're just going to jump into this these these three parables and uh and, and we're going to do a little a little praying together embedded in the sermon it might not it might be that you've never been in a service like that there's going to be an opportunity for you to respond in moments in the service and we'll pray and then we're going to go back into the message, and when we get to that point, Emily's kind enough; she's going to come back up and play the keys a little bit in those moments. So we're just going to kind of wade into this thing and 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 see how it goes. But that's part of what we believe here at City Life: is that we pray, we believe for a plan, but God's the boss, and so that, that uh, He gets to change it up, and, and we just know we trust Him in those moments. And uh, and it was it, it was good last night, and so I'm trusting that it's going to be good here today too. I'm going to tell you a story, but before I do if you want to just get ready we're going to be looking around in in uh in Luke chapter 15 I'm going to use this bible so I can walk around a little bit Luke 15 I'm going to get there I'm going to get there I want to do. we do like to do some giveaways here at City Life every now and again too. So I've got a, a, a gift card for uh, for William back there on the sound. I'll give that to Nick to make sure he gets it. That's for the service. But he he finally figured out how to get the hands free setup in Newport News we've never had that technology there so we had it for the first time last night and uh and I was joking around because I like to walk around you know during the services you know that here but there there's more aisles and it's a bigger room and so I get out into the crowd and so I said now I get to actually touch people when I walk around right and so now you thought I was violating your space before right when so now I get to come and stand and do this and you could see people just go oh not sure I like that so So, we appreciate William helping to make that technology happen. So, so I remember years ago when Claire wanted to try riding her bicycle. For the first time, without training wheels, right? Anybody been a parent and had those moments? And uh, somebody was joking with us after the service. That they, they said that, that that our our daughter was a preteen before she finally got rid of the training wheels. That she looked a little funny being as big as she was, still riding down the street with the training wheels on her bike. And I remember those was a couple of years ago. And uh, and and so Claire was like, "I want to try, you know. I want to I want to get ready." And you're a little bit nervous as a parent, right? Because you know they're going to fall, they're going to skin their knees, they're going to hurt themselves. But that's part of growing up. Is you, you, can't, you can't keep them in a bubble. You've, you've got to teach them this idea of taking some risks and how to recover from failure. That's a, an important part of parenting. And so we got out. It's not the house that we're in now. It was the house that we were renting before. It was a little alleyway behind uh, the the houses, and uh, as they backed up to each other, and so it was just a nice safe stretch, right? No cars are really going to be riding up and down there. It was in the middle of the day, and so we get her out there. She's got a little basket, you know, that's on the front of her bike and the streamers, and she's, we've got the training wheels off. She's got her Barbie helmet on, and and so she's on there, and I'm standing behind her bike, and I'm telling her what I'm going to do, right? I say, all right, when I'm going to count to three, and then and then I'm going to run with you as far as I can, and then I'm going to give you a push. And then the only thing you need to remember, Claire, is don't stop pedaling, right? Just keep pedaling. Don't stop. And so our neighbor behind us, she came out because she realized what was going to happen, right? And she's saying, oh, Claire, you can do it. You know, she was all excited for Claire. And and uh, and so, you know, so so there I am. I say, I'm going to count to three, right? And so do you guys count like before picture, you do one, two, three? So are you, a, do you, say three, or are you the person that does it on three, but don't ever say it, right, because those are two groups of people in the world, too, (laughs) Vanessa, when we got married, she says, okay, we're going to take this picture, we're going to do it on three, right, she says one, two, and then she clicks on three, but she doesn't say three, I'm like, whoa, hey, you're supposed to say three, I wasn't ready, right, anybody do that, anybody else, no, see, you're all alone, honey, oh, I know, all right, so, I'm a th- I'm, so I say, Claire, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to count to three, then I'm going to run with you. I'm 40-some you know, years old then, so I said, I'm not going to make it very far, but I'm going to get as far as I can. And so I, she, I say, all right, here we go. So she starts pedaling, and I'm running with her. And then I get to that moment where I know she's got some momentum, and I'm running out of air, and, and so I just I give her the shove, right? And that's the moment of truth, you know. She just takes right off, never stops, goes around the block, just keeps on coming. I don't think to this day she's ever fallen on her bicycle, right? Which makes me a great father, I'd like to add, because I take credit for for, for all of that. But, But when she comes around the corner, right? So she goes and she zips up onto the sidewalk, comes back around. As she's coming back around, she's got this expression on her face, right? You know, it's the expression that we've already talked about today already in communion. I did it. It's a beautiful expression. It's a beautiful countenance. It's, it's born out of this emotion, I did it. It's an amazing sense of accomplishment to feel that emotion, to have that feeling, and that's the emotion that filled the heart of Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago when he said, it is finished, Taleo. I I did it, Father. Now we know what he did means lots of things, and we've been covering that all throughout this sermon, but the thing that I want to focus on today that I believe he also meant to say when he said, I did it, is that he was saying to the Father, and he was saying to us, I did it, I gave them a picture of what it means to live extravagantly. He walked with us on this earth for 33 years. And in his last six hours, in his last 47 words, he was running with humanity. And the moment that he gave up his spirit, which we're going to get to that at the end of the series, it was as though he gave us a shove. He pushed us. And he says, hey, don't stop pedaling." And the longing of his heart was to see us racing forward into a life of extravagant living. Now why do I come to that conclusion? Because Paul, the apostle Paul, he sits down to write this letter centuries ago to a church in Rome. And in the fifth chapter, in the eighth verse, he says this, God commended his great love, demonstrated his great love, demonstrated his extravagant love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us the picture of Jesus on the cross is a picture of many things, but one of the things that's a picture of is this idea of extravagance. One of my favorite movies is Save Saving Private Ryan. Anybody like that movie in here? Come on. And so there's this scene, right, where where he's kneeling at the grave and the the, the person that was saved, and he looks up at his family. He's crying. He's weeping. He's an older man. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's in this last season of life. He looks up at his family and he says, tell me that I lived a good life, right? Remember that scene in the movie? He, he, he knows that people died for him and he wants to know that their sacrifice wasn't in vain he wants to know that hey i know it wasn't perfect but i lived up to the sacrifice that was given for me it's one thing to die for a person when you know that they're not going to squander the sacrifice it's one thing to die for someone when you know that hey they're gonna they're gonna they might not get it right all the time but man they're they're not going to take for granted what i did for them but that's not the story of jesus according to god as he inspired Paul, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died just so that we would even have the opportunity to be reconciled to God. No guarantees. He said, I'm just going to lay down my life just to give them a chance. It's a beautiful picture of absolute extravagance. And so the parables that we're going to look at together this morning in Luke chapter 15, your Bible, just like my Bible, might call them the lost parables. Anybody have theirs? Right? Now the text is divinely inspired, but the headings are not. Okay? So you can change those around a little bit if you want to. That's okay. You're not violating scripture here. And so I think they are about lost, but I don't think they're just about lost. I think they're also about extravagance. I think you could also rename every one of these parables the parables of extravagant living. And I want to work through them, and I want to tell you why I believe that. So in 15 verse 1, it says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners. I'm going to jump over here and read a verse because I love this verse here in 1 Samuel 22. This idea of notorious sinners. Listen to what David started with when he was building his kingdom. It says, so David left Gath and escaped to the caves of Adullam. And soon his brothers and all of his other relatives joined him there, then others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt, who were just discontented, It's not really the group of people you're hoping to plant with. You with me, right? It's not the all-star team. What's interesting, though, is you never hear these descriptions about these people ever again. And it's a powerful place for us to start today because who we are today isn't necessarily who we're supposed to be in our tomorrows. There's, a, there's an acknowledgement of the reality of the condition of our heart, but then there's also something to be said when we come into community with the right people, when we come into community for the right reasons, like what these people did, there's a journey of transformation that we can go on together. And part of the transformation that God is longing for us as we're gonna see today is to make sure that our capacity for extravagance is always pointed in the right Direction. So this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them the story. If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. And in the same way, there is, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, I like to picture the setting. I like to think about a crowd being there, right? I try to imagine what must have been like. Who was there? What was their reaction to what he was saying? And so, so I'm, I'm going to create a fictional person today. We're going to call him Bob, okay? So I have this picture when Jesus is telling the story that Bob's in the crowd, and Bob's listening. I think Bob doesn't like the way that Jesus tells the story. This is just my own, my own own, own inserting some commentary here. So I think I get this picture that Bob, you know, kind of nods to Jesus and kind of pulls him over to the side a little bit and says, I don't know if you were noticing or not, but when you were telling that story, people really didn't seem to follow what you were saying. You know, if I could, if I could just make some suggestions, I think if you turn the story around a little bit, people will get it better. You know, I think if you had said, "Hey, there's the shepherd. He comes and he checks on the flock, and there's a hundred sheep in there. He goes back to the campfire, then he comes back." And 99 of them are gone, right? And only one is left. Then he goes out and the whole night he's searching for the 99 and he finds all of them, every one. None are lost. He comes back. Now that's something to celebrate because a lot of us have been shepherds before and it's really not a big deal to just lose one sheep. That happens all the time. People don't throw parties for that, Jesus. I mean, I've never walked on water or anything like that, but I'm just trying to help you out here, right? And so, and then you know what Jesus says to Bob? Hey, Baba, I understand. I I get that in your humanity, that's how you're used to living. I understand that in your humanity, you get excited about the 99 and you don't get excited about the one. That's what I'm trying to help you see is that heaven is extravagant and so should you. That you've got to learn to take this emotion that you connect with about celebrating the story that you're told. You're supposed to have that same kind of emotion when 99 are safe and you just find one. I think Bob walks away and goes, okay, tell it like you want, right? Goes back into the crowd. Jesus tells another story. He says, all right, right? He's taking another shot at it. Jesus is persistent. He says, or oh, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins. I think Bob says to his buddy, I talked to him a little bit. He's going to switch it up here, I think. And she loses one, and he says, oh, you're con- come on, you're kidding me. Loses one. Won't she light a lamp? And sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I've found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Now, I believe, I think there's some truth to a lot of this study that a lot of scholars have done, that this was probably her dowry. When she got married, there's a dowry that she brings with her. And in ancient times, that, that was important to these women because women had no rights in ancient times. They were, just, they were property. And if they were cast aside or just abandoned, they had no financial resources. And so this dowry, this part of this dowry, they were allowed to keep. And, and that was their, that was their insurance, that, that if they were ever in a situation where they had to care for themselves, they had something to start over with. So I, I think there's some truth to that. I think that connected with people. And so we can appreciate why she really wanted to find that one coin. But the part where the story shifts for us is that she throws a big party. And this idea of rejoicing in Jesus's day wasn't this a cheer. I mean, they would have had a party. There would have been food and drink and people would have come over. And what you begin to realize is because heaven has an extravagance problem, is that she probably spent more on the party than the one coin was worth that she lost you with me? So people are in the crowd. Jesus is trying to take them somewhere. He's trying to take us somewhere. He's trying to help us to understand the culture of the kingdom of heaven. He's trying to say to us, hey, I'm extravagant. I'm an extravagant God. My son is an extravagant savior. This is part. You were born with a capacity for extravagance. Now, you give yourself an extravagance to different things, but you're always pointing it in the right direction. And I'm trying to help you see that there's another way to live because when Jesus said it is finished he gave us this shove and he's he wants us to discover this life of racing and extravagance because we're supposed to be a picture of heaven to the world so he tells another story now this is where He takes it in a different direction. See, so the first two, he's talking about the extravagance of heaven, how we're supposed to live. And then in this next story, he adds something in. He talks about the perversion of the extravagance that's seen in our humanity. And he tells the story of two sons. All right, I'm gonna read through this and then we're gonna have Emily come up in just a minute. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons, and the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Not what you're hoping to hear from your children as a parent, right? Care about your money? Don't care about you. I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now this is important for us to to understand, is that 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 in ancient times, that, that when the father divides his estate, he divides it by one extra than the number of sons that he has. The girls don't get counted. It was terrible. It was terrible. And so he takes his sons. If he's got two sons, he divides his estate by three because the oldest son gets a double portion. Not to give him some some, some better standard of living because he's now the patriarch of the family and it's, you have to be financially responsible for the family. And so the cultural practice was that we're going to fund his responsibilities. That's right. So if he'd had five sons, he would have divided it by six and the oldest son would have gotten a double portion so that he's resourced. And so he divides his estate by three. The older son gets a double portion. The younger son gets his portion. Now it's interesting here. We know the end of the story, but at the point in time where he asks his father for the money, he doesn't have any plans to leave. But now that he's got some money in his pocket, a few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. I like one translation that calls it riotous living. It, there's an important principle here, just as a sidebar, it's another sermon for another time, but it's this picture of sometimes in life things that we're supposed to have, if we get them too soon, that which was supposed to be life-giving becomes destructive. We tell young couples that, that, hey, we, we might say to you, hey, marriage is supposed to be a part of your future. It's not supposed to be a part of your today might be that there might be some unhealthy things in their life personally. They might have some character issues. They might have some addiction needs, right? And we say, hey, if you get married today, it's probably going to be destructive. But if you wait, it could be a great gift to you in your tomorrow. Is that right? Young couples sometimes that come to us and talk about when should we have kids. Hey, being parents might be a good thing for you and your future. It's not going to be a good thing for you today. There's this principle of being patient and waiting for God's perfect timing. It can be also for promotion or title or responsibility or for finances, this idea that you might have things that you're talking to God about. And if you feel like he's saying no to you and you're frustrated and confused, it might be because he's saying, hey, you're not ready. It's supposed to be a part of your tomorrow, but it's not supposed to be a part of your today it's trusting in the sovereignty of God about the time his money ran out a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve and he persuaded a local farmer to hire him and a man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs now he's a Jewish man and so we know that that was a desperate situation for him because to be a Jewish person that made you spiritually unclean unclean, to be around pigs. Again, that's another story, another sermon for another time. So we know he was desperate. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. This parable is just so rich, isn't it? God loves you enough to take you to the place that you need to go to recognize how much you need him. We call it a desperation revelation. Anybody ever ever had a desperation revelation? I had a desperation revelation when I was 23 years old, and it was one of the greatest gifts that God ever gave to me. He's, he's willing to let you get into a place where your physical condition mirrors your spiritual reality. Let's say that again. He loves you enough to let you go to a place where your physical condition mirrors your spiritual reality he lets us suffer not because he doesn't care he lets us suffer sometimes not because he's disconnected or something got through that he didn't realize he lets us suffer sometimes because he wants us in our natural condition to see the brokenness of our heart so that's why sometimes with parents who have kids that are just living riotous lives we say hey be careful not to rescue them too soon Or it might be that you've got to be careful not to rescue them at all because God has them on a road to their desperation, revelation. It's interesting, isn't it? In these parables, the shepherd goes after the sheep, the woman goes after the coin, but nobody goes after the son. It's because God is trying to teach us this principle that sometimes we've got to hurt a little bit so that we can have the revelation that we need to get back on the road that God is trying to get us to travel down. And that's exactly what happens to this young man. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Come on, it's powerful, isn't it? He's desperate. All right, so I'm going to have Emily's come back up. And she's going to play the keys a little bit. So this is where we're going to go with the time that, that, that we've got left. This is that we're going to look at two perversions of extravagance in the younger son. And then I'm going to point out to you two perversions of extravagance in the older son. Does that make sense? And then we're going to wrap up by talking about the four virtues that the father operates in that are the opposite of of the four perversions of extravagance. Does that make sense? As you see the story, you're going to find it really unfolds. It's be, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful story. The four virtues that the father demonstrates is the four virtues that we're supposed to move in. And if we don't move in these four virtues, we end up moving in the excesses that are destructive. Does that make sense? So, but it's going to get personal because what we're going to ask you to do, and it was beautiful last night, and, it, and I know it makes you feel conspicuous. There's going to be two moments. We're going to, talk about the first two and then we're going to invite you to respond and then we're going to talk about the next two and invite you to respond we'll kind of group them together a little bit and that helps you gives you some privacy too uh, because people don't know which one you're standing for right so we're going to help you out a little bit there but we're going to ask you today and when we get to the moment that if one of these things that we're talking about is something that you struggle with that you're going to stand and we're going to say a prayer together right i get this idea of, of being conspicuous sometimes god asks you to be conspicuous there's there's moments that you can step into that god changes you forever I have moments like that in my journey. There's moments where we have to work out in discipleship, right? There's moments that we have to walk out where where we've got to do stuff. We've got to work out our salvation, right? But there's also moments where God just supernaturally comes in. He does something in us that we cannot explain, and we leave different. There was a young man who's been coming to the church in Newport News. He's made a decision for Christ, never been in church his entire life. It's all completely foreign to him. And he's made a decision for Christ in the last few months. And and, and he came up at the end of the service, not to me. He was talking to one of the leaders and he says, I don't know what happened, but something happened to me tonight. I need you to tell me who who can I call to get involved. I I don't even, when you talk about giving, I don't even know how that works, but I want to write a check. Just who do I make that payable to, right? And he has this whole list of all these things that he's talking about. Christianity just opened up for him last night in a powerful way. And I, you know, he just kept standing. I'm not even sure he struggled with all the things that we were talking about but he just knew that he was encountering the living God and and he had this look on his face like you know He's been in the room all these weeks. He made a decision for Christ, but all of a sudden, something... You know, Paul talked about the scales just being pulled away from your eyes. He had this expression on his face. His fiance was wasn't there. He probably went home, and she's like, what have they done to my husband, right? But she's a believer, and so she's fallen in love with this guy, and this is part of her story that she's telling. She knew she, she was in love with him, and so she, she knew, I can't... I, I can't go to the altar with this guy until, you know, he makes a decision for Christ. And so that was a huge moment for her. She told that story, that the moment in our service where he made a decision for Christ, she said, I cried more in that moment than when he proposed to me, you know? Because she's like, come on, this is great! So I, can't, I, I bet they were probably up half the night having this great conversation, because he's changing before her eye. I'm just telling you, I'm just, I believe in that God, I believe in those kinds of moments, and for some of you, you're supposed to have a moment like that today. And it's up to you whether you're going to step into it. My job is just to create the opportunity, but it's on you to step into it. So this is the first extravagance that we see in the young, young son. We see an extravagance of pleasure. He's got a, he has a pleasure problem, right? So he's got all this money, all the things that he could do to it. He, he, he feeds his appetite for pleasure. This idea, this word riotous living, it means lots of things. It means that there would have been sexual immorality. It would have been drunkenness. It's just this, this, it's this general word that kind of encapsulates all the stuff that you don't want your children to get involved in. And he's thrown himself into it headlong. He, he has a pleasure problem. Now I can relate to this because I spent most of my life with a pleasure problem. I was a just a hedonistic, pleasure-seeking person for the first 23 years of my life. There were moments, literally, I kid you not, in the, in the, in the summer of 1990 when I was really wrestling with God and I knew He was asking me to take the step of a vow of devotion to Him and I didn't want to do it. There were times where I literally would sit down with a piece of paper and I would list everything that I knew He was going to ask me to stop doing, right? Because I knew there was just stuff in my life that's bad and it's wrong, but I was having fun doing it I would make this list and I would start crossing okay I could do without this but there were some things on there that were all pleasure driven I said I don't I don't want to lay this stuff down right I understand what it's mean for 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 your pleasure to be in a place of influence in your life that it's not supposed to be and the reason why we call it a perversion is because God gave you a capacity for pleasure it's interesting isn't it he doesn't, he, we, we talk about that openly as a church. He wants you to enjoy the pleasures of this life, but he has boundaries that he says, hey, if you stay within these boundaries, because this is the lie of the enemy. This is the lie of the enemy. The devil, this was his lie to me, is that your pleasures are gonna be less if you embrace these boundaries. But the deception is, what I know now is, I was actually settling, settling for lust before. Every boundary that God wants to put in my life, it's to release me into something better. And so, so for you, you might be here this morning and you might be struggling with pleasure. It, it might not be sexual pleasure. It could be food pleasure. It could be your physical appetite for food is out of control. It could be exercise. I have I know people that, hey, I believe exercise is important. That's part of the stewardship of your body. But I know for some people, the pleasure they get from doing those things, it controls them. It's to the point where it causes them to, to, to not go deep in relationships. It causes them to disengage from church, right? It's because that they live for it. You with me? There's all kinds of ways that you can experience pleasure it's this idea of this chemical release that your body has the capacity to give to you that you live for that that you serve it instead of it serving you and you might be here today and you say fred i can connect with that now i'm standing for this one when we pray it's a battle that i'm winning but it's a battle that i'm going to continue to fight because i know it's a vulnerability for me and i never want to go back to the person that i used to be Right? So I've got hard, tight boundaries in my life for all of those things and all of those areas. and Men that I have deep relationship that ask me hard questions because I want to make sure I've got tall walls in my life. I don't want to ever go back to the person that I used to be. So I'm, I'm standing. I know I'm standing now, but I'm really standing for that, for this one when we pray. And so I hope some of you are going to stand too. The other one is possessions. Right? He had a, He had a possession problem. He had an extravagant problem when it came to possessions. He just he wanted more, right? That money represented him the fulfillment of buying stuff. Right? I know none of you struggle with that. Are you with me, right? And and for some it can be compulsive. For some, it's it's this idea of of it's I just have to I have to have more. I have to have more, I have to have more. And and you might know people who struggle with that, you might struggle with that to varying degrees, but 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 it's this idea that when you get it, you know that soon after the feeling of 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 fulfillment it goes away, and, and you know that I've just got to go find something else, right? We were joking around last night that all those people were the people in the service who weren't paying attention because there was an auction on eBay they were trying to close out right, right in the middle. They didn't want to miss their miss their window. Right? It's it's this idea of that this money I've I've got to spend it. I've, it's the feeling that you get of stuff. It's it's well, it's called materialism. That's what it's called. You with me? And so, so there's times in our life where we struggle with it. You might have seasons of struggling with it. Again, you might struggle with it to degrees. And, and some people, it controls them. And, 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 there's, and I believe that indebtedness is one of the greatest destroyers of destinies in our society that people just get bogged down with debt and the devil loves it because that in debt becomes their master and and they're not free to live the life and pursue the things. Think about missionaries. I believe missionaries that were supposed to be on the field and they never got there because they they had this problem with materialism and, and the debt controlled them and they were never in a place financially where they could pursue the dreams they got. Out. It's serious stuff, right? This This capacity for extravagance is God's gift. But if you point it in the wrong direction, that which was supposed to give you life and to give life to the world becomes destructive. So I'm going to start praying, and if you struggle with either one of those, hey, I know it's being conspicuous, but this is part of the journey that we're on. It's just up to you whether or not you'll step into the moment. So, Father, as people begin to stand this morning, we just pray over their life. We pray, God, come on. We, 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 we believe that there is a change that you can work in us. We believe, God, that in moments like this, there's a touch from your hand that is sovereign. There is a change that you work in us where we don't leave the same as we came in. All right, so I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Father, forgive me for feeding this appetite. And today, I renounce any permission that I have given this temptation to influence my life. And I break its power over me. And I declare that from this day forward, I am a child of the living God And the Holy Spirit is going to be the most dominant, the loudest voice in my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, you should clap with that as you're sitting down. Feels good, doesn't it? All right, let's do two more. She's going to keep playing. I sound better with music behind me, don't I? Come on. I I love this parable this parable it's like it's a hole of truth that you can just fall into and keep finding stuff it's like cave exploring there's just a new cavern waiting around the corner let's do the the brother and then we'll do the father meanwhile that's a good word right it's like the 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 the, the movie that you're watching there's lots of different storylines and it switches over meanwhile the older son was in the fields working and when we return home he heard music and dancing in the house he asked one of the servants hey what's going on Your brother's back, he was told. And your father's killed the fatted calf and we're celebrating because of his safe return. Now the older brother was angry. He wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, right, he doesn't say this brother of mine, this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, look, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me and everything that I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but is now found, right? Heaven has an extravagance problem. This older brother, he's got an extravagance problem, and it's a problem that many of us struggle with. It's the problem of judgmentalism. I know you wouldn't again know anything about that one either, right? It's this idea of being a judger. It's this idea of being a finger pointer. It's this idea of, 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 of this compulsiveness that might be inside of you that you're just critical and cynical. It's this this problem that, and you find a lot of it in the church today, of of people that that they just can't help but point out the wrong in others. And, 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 And the difficulty with this problem of judgmentalism is that oftentimes they're right. You with me? A lot of times what they're saying is true. The problem is, is their heart and their spirit and how they say it everything the older brother says about the younger son is true you track him he did squander his father's money he did waste it on riotous living he he doesn't deserve the grace that's being given to him you with me he's a truth teller the problem is that he is mean-spirited And this is the difficulty in people, especially in the church today. They get confused. They think, well, as long as I'm telling the truth, it's okay. As long as I'm right, that's my justification. Now, Paul talks about this idea of speaking the truth, but he says you're supposed to speak the truth in love. In his his letter to the church in Ephesus, he talks about this idea of don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is edifying for the building up of others. This is one of the great tragedies of these people that are cynics. These people, especially in the church, that are judgmental. Is that God has given them a gift of insight to see the wrong in situations and in people. But they're supposed to be then a person that takes that insight and uses it to love and to care and minister to people to help them on their journey of healing. And that's the difference, that's the measure between a person who's a cynic and a person who's moving in the gift in the way that God intended them to is what's the fruit of their conversation. Because the fruit of the conversation of the cynic is pain. The fruit of the conversation of the cynic is is contention. The fruit of the conversation of the cynic is divisiveness. The fruit of the conversation of a truth-teller moving on the anointing of God is restoration. The fruit of the truth teller who's moving in the gift that God has called them to, often it's a prophetic gift, is one of restoration and reconciliation. It's interesting, isn't it? You gotta love the Apostle Paul and all that he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He didn't say we're given to the ministry of truth telling, he said we're given to the ministry of reconciliation. Telling truth is an important part of reconciliation, but your motivation for telling the truth has to be to restore people and to love on people and to help people and to serve people. And you might be here today and you struggle with that, that you're a finger pointer, you're a complainer, you're a judger, and it just comes out, right? It just it's compulsive and it hurts people. And that's not the ministry that God has called you to. He's enabled you to see it so that you can take what you know and the insight that you have and bring restoration to broken lives. The other problem that this brother has, I think, is a problem with punishment, right? You hear in his voice, you see in the text that he wants his brother to be punished for what he did. Now, this is one that I'm going to stand up with. Because for me, I'm a, I don't have the first one as much. The, the part of my nature is I believe the best in people, and sometimes that gets me in trouble, right? And one of the ways it gets me in trouble is that I trust people more than I should. And then you can anybody else, you, get up, you end up getting hurt by people in those situations. So that's when the other one kicks in for me is, is because then when they hurt me or they do something that I know is wrong, I, w- I want them to suffer you with me i want them to pay the price right i know you're completely disconnected from that feeling you've never had that before right there's something inside of you that says i i want them to hurt because of what they did for me that's probably about half of the psalms or what are called prayers of imprecation where david you ever read some of those i want their children to be in bondage for 10 generations yeah it's right there in the bible prayers of imprecation that's a safe place to bring those feelings we bring them to God so that he can replace them with a different kind of feeling but if we're not careful we take that attitude out into the world we bring that attitude into our conversations it's the it's the person that smiles at the thought of other people suffering for the wrong that they've done because it makes you feel justified it makes you feel right this older brother, he's got a problem with being judgmental. He has a problem with, with he's got a problem with punishment people in their conversation who struggles with with these things, they're often right in what they're saying, but they're dishonoring their name callers, right? Especially it could be in the political realm, it could be of different views and different ideas that maybe we have a firm conviction against, but it does not give us the right to be disrespectful and dishonoring of the leaders of our nation. It's just wrong, and it's sin, and it's not right, and you see a lot of that flowing out of the church, and I think it breaks God's heart. It breaks His heart. There's a way to say the truth and a way to even in those who are in authority in us that honors them and respects them. We're called to be a light to this world, to be the salt of the earth. And as a church, we've got to do better at getting that right so we're going to stand I'm going to pray I'm just if you're here and you you might struggle with these in different measures or one or the other but if you're here and there's any stirring of these things in you I'm just telling you you should stand and we're going to pray that prayer again together so Father we just lift up everybody that's here today that's going to be standing we pray Father of people that struggle with these things Father oftentimes it plays itself out in parenting we're, we're overly demanding of our children we're, we're too critical God of our, of our kids in moments and we're just it's our broken you're just coming out in ugly ways against people Father Father for those of us that have disrespected leaders, people that you've ordained whether we agree with them or not. And we've been disrespectful and dishonoring God. We say forgive us today. So pray pray this with me. Say, "Father, forgive me for feeding this appetite. In this day, I renounce any permission that I have given these temptations to influence me. And I break its power over me and I declare that I'm a child of God and that from this day forward I'm going to point my extravagance in the right direction in Jesus's name amen come on you should clap for that come on all right so I'm going to we're in the home stretch I'm going to give you the four the four virtues so the father as you read this text I'm not going to go back into it. You can read it. If you've never read it, you can read it for yourself. You find him moving in four virtues. The four virtues that you see him moving in, you see him moving in the virtue of generosity, of affection, of patience, and mercy. In his response and in his conversation, and each of those are directly connected to the excesses of his sons. Let's start with the one of affection. People that have a pleasure problem or affection starved. I've sat with a lot of people in my office as a pastor and every time I sit with someone who has a pleasure problem, there's an absence of healthy, affectionate relationships in their life. Or there's a key relationship that they were supposed to have in life, a father or mother, and that affection wasn't there. It's the pathway to to, to to unhealthy sexual identity. It's a pathway to overeating. It's not the only pathways. It's not the only pathway, but it's but it's always one of them. Every time I've ever talked with someone who has a pleasure problem, it's because they they have an affection problem. You with me? And so this is part of the discipleship part. I'm just, if you stood up for that one, where pleasure is a struggle for you, one of the things that you need to do, you've stepped into a moment where I think God has created a go-forward point for you, but now what do I do tomorrow is that you need to pursue some healthy relationships in your life, that you need to avail yourself to the extravagance of love that people can put into your life and the extravagance of affection that you can begin to give to other people and then all of a sudden that need that you've been trying to fill through these things gets satiated and satisfied in the way that God intended and all of a sudden it begins to help you have control over this area of your life where you've been a victim. Does that make sense? That's why we do life groups. We don't do life groups because we just like to see names on a piece of paper, right? We're trying to give you guys the gift of eternal life that you can have this side of heaven. There's a richness and a depth of, depth of affection in these relationships that come that where there's this exchange, where there's, these relationships are real and vital and deep. And if you've ever had a relationship like that before, you know what I'm talking about. And then all of a sudden, you're not so hungry for these other things anymore. It's powerful. The father moves extravagantly in affection. He moves extravagantly in this place of generosity. What he does materially in this story is mind-boggling because he doesn't take his son back in as a hired hand. He puts a ring on his finger and a robe on him and sandals on his feet. He's saying, this is my son. He's restored back to the family. Now, this is one of the reasons why the brother's upset. Because you know what that means? It means the the estate gets reset. It gets reset. So that means, right? That means now that all the money that the father's going to earn from that day forward, right? I don't think he takes the money back from the son, but his father's going to continue to earn. The wealth of his estate is going to continue to grow. Before the brother's like, that means all the rest of it, I get it all to myself, right? But now that the son's back, guess what? It's going to get divided into thirds again. And the son gets a portion of his that he thought he was going to get to keep the father's generous with his money he's generous with his son's money right he's it's extravagant what he does materially the wealth that he gives back to the son if you have a possession problem if you have a problem with always shopping and buying and, and it's a perversion of the extravagance that God wants you to discover of generosity If you've got a problem with I need, I need, I need, I need, it's because you've yet to discover the joy of what it means to give and give and give and give. People that, are, that I just can't get enough, those are people that, that, that their extravagance is pointed in a wrong direction. Now, be careful here because what I'm not saying is if you have a shopping problem, now you can go out and buy two things, right? So that you can give one away, right? That's not what I'm saying here. You've got to get your finances under control, but part of getting your finances under control is saying, I want to discover the joy of giving it away just like I've discovered the joy of keeping it for myself. He moves in the virtue of patience by pleading with his son. He he moves in this place of patience. He never went after his son, but it says he saw him from a long way off. You know what that means? It means that he had been waiting every day for his son to come home. Every day before he went to bed. He's looking down the road. Can I see him today? He waited. He was patient. He wasn't a judger. People that have a judging problem they're really supposed to have a patience problem people that have a problem with judgmentalism and being a a a cynic, god wants them to discover the joy of being patient with people the joy of saying i'm not going to be in a hurry for them to change god because i know that you're not in a hurry for me to change you're patient with me i want to be patient with the world and the last one is this people that have a punishment problem god wants you to discover a mercy problem you've got a problem with wanting to see people punished, he wants you to discover the joy of being merciful. You see, it's not a coincidence, all the details that are in this story. He gives us the four perversions of excess, and then he gives us the virtues that we're called to. He's saying to us, Heaven has an extravagance problem, and in your humanity, you do too. You're just extravagant in the wrong ways. You're extravagant in the ways that hurt people, and you're extravagant in ways that hurt yourself. But if, oh, if you would just give yourself to this other way of life, the richness that your life would discover. Stand with me. I'm going to read this verse as we close. This is in Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Right? You knew we had to go here, right? The fruit of the Spirit. We're talking about virtues. Galatians 5 verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I love how it finishes here because heaven has an extravagance problem. There is no law against these things. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, you can do these as much as you want. If you want to gorge your life on something, gorge your life on these. There's a lot of things that he says you have to do in moderation. We get that. But he's saying, hey, I want you to know there's some other things in here. You just can't get enough of it. You can't give enough of it away. You can't have too much of these things. There's no law against these. There's no limit to how you can experience these. And the one that I like how it wraps up with is self-control. And I've always understood that to be measured. I've always understood that to be this idea of, 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 of being cautious and being, being measured, this idea of self-discipline. And so I, I, I was doing some study this week and dug around and I was very surprised to see that's not what this word means at all. It's a very, this word has a very different definition. It means strength. That's what that word means in the Greek. It means to be strong. Now, self-control is the fruit of strength, but strength is the virtue that we're supposed to move in. Why? Why does that, the, the, the last in the list here, I don't think it's a coincidence, because I think Jesus is saying to us that true strength is a person who has the character, the strength of character, to keep their extravagance pointed in the right direction. For the things for which against there is no law. So, Father, let it be that as we go in to our week, that people are going to find us different than we were before. That there's going to be a journey that we're going to walk on together, God, as a church family, that we're going to walk out of our excesses that are perversions of the life that you've called us to live. That you've given us a great push, Jesus, and we're just going to keep pedaling into a life of extravagance for all things that are virtuous, for all things that are life-giving, for all things that bring healing and restoration to the world around us. Taleo, I did it. It is finished. In Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen. We'll see you next week.